welcome to the Thrive in China podcast with me, Christina Kohler Kaluchia from Woodburn Accountants and Advisors, where we educate and celebrate the mistakes made by foreign investors whilst doing business in China. Every week, I explore the mistakes I have incurred along my China journey, what I have learned from these mistakes, and the successes that have materialized out of them. The podcast includes personal stories from other China experts on the challenges they have experienced in the Chinese market, how they have overcome them, and what pieces of advice they can share with those of us who are just starting out. In today's episode, I am providing you with my China story. A story that started in 2003 when I was offered a job by my father and brother to relocate to Shanghai at the age of 22 and open up our first subsidiary in the Chinese mainland. It highlights my mistakes, my successes, and my biggest learnings about doing business in China. Enjoy. Hey guys, so the first episode of our podcast today is going to be my story. So it's not going to be in an interview format. It is going to be more of a storytelling format, if you will. Um, I thought it would be interesting for people to hear my own introduction to China, a little bit about my background, um, the mistakes that I have made in my professional career, how I've overcome those, what have I learned about doing business in China. And I'm going to end off today's discussion uh, with one piece of advice that I would give to myself when I would have first started off my career in China. So let's get cracking the basics. Who am I? Well, my name is Christina Kohler Kaluccia. I'm a Hong Kong born European. Um, spent my entire youth in Hong Kong and left Hong Kong at the age of 18 to go off to university in the U.S. Um, if you guys are hearing, I sound like an American. Sometimes I sound like a Brit. That's just the international accent that I have grown up with over the years. Um, the American side comes from the four years that I spent at Duke University in North Carolina. Uh, and upon my return back to Hong Kong, I was uh, picked up at the airport by my brother who that evening took me out for dinner and offered me a job. Um, I was at that point jobless, having just graduated. Market wasn't good in terms of finding employment. And he basically said, I have the intention of hiring you so that you can go off to Shanghai uh, in five months time to open up our first subsidiary there. And I just thought, wow, I mean, I have no idea what the business is. I did not really know at that point in time what my father and brother were doing. Um, but I basically was given a five month time frame to learn everything on the job and to then relocate to Shanghai. Um, so that's what I did. I was hired. Um, it sounded extremely exciting. And obviously to then move to China, which was definitely scary, but at the same time sounded like an amazing opportunity and an adventure. 
Um, and of course, in my family, everything is always spoken about in a very positive manner. Um, but there was a lot of opportunity for us to expand and grow our business there. So I came to China um, in 2003, relocated, and I was 22 years of age, um, really a new graduate. And since then, I have helped to build that business into what it is, which is an advisory firm and a corporate administrative firm. Uh, ultimately, what we do is at Woodburn Accountants and Advisors is that we help foreign investors with their market entry strategy. We implement their business models in mainland China, as well as in Hong Kong. And we then manage and execute the full corporate administration that is required for those entities to remain in compliance in those two jurisdictions of China and Hong Kong. So our services entail everything from trademark registration to employer of record services to offering non-executive director services all the way through to incorporation, accounting, tax, payroll, uh, and other human resource services. Um, we also offer custodial uh, management services for licenses and shops, and the list goes on. It really comes down to how our clients want to mitigate their risk and how they actually want to implement corporate governance into their structures in China. So that is what we do in a nutshell. Um, it is kind of weird for a corporate services expert to then lay on what mistakes we made or I made along my China journey because a lot of the mistakes that I have listed are actually corporate administrative mistakes that we made. Um, and it was only by doing and learning the hard way how to prevent it from happening to other customers and clients on their China journey. So I want to highlight to you what were my I've listed down the four biggest mistakes made um, during my professional career in China. So the first mistake that I made was in regards to employment law in China and replica replicating what we did in Hong Kong and ultimately failing at the first termination of my first ever employee that I hired in China. Um, this was quite a dramatic termination, but I just do want to highlight very briefly the mistakes that I made. The first one was using an employment contract template that I had taken from our Hong Kong office and not really adapting it to the Chinese labor regulations. And people make the assumption that Hong Kong and China are so similar in terms of laws and regulations that it is something you can simply mistake and just make the assumption, oh, I'll just use it and tweak it. You never tweak it in the end. And in the end, it's actually not following the labor law regulations. In terms of terminating my first employee, it was really based on attitude, uh, motivation, and just a reluctancy to work for a small organization that was starting up in the Chinese market. We were at a point where we were looking to hire our second employee, and I just didn't want to have this bad attitude in the office environment. But lo and behold, I did not 
take advice from a labor lawyer in regards to how to terminate this employee. And I did not take advice on what the labor compensation regulations were, that the outcome was our firm spending more than anticipated on the termination compensation because we were taken advantage of by the employee. And we put ourselves in a very difficult situation that we could not get ourselves out of and therefore were stuck. So how did I overcome this mistake? I readjusted our entire employment contract templates, uh, got advice from a local labor lawyer, learned what I should have done in that scenario. And uh, my biggest learning lesson was to make sure that my lawyer was on speed dial on my phone and readily available should I ever need to reach out to them. Um, and from that moment on, when I did my second and third termination, I actually had my labor lawyer participate in those calls because I had just completely lost all confidence and I just needed them to back me up on what I was doing and making sure I was doing everything correctly. The second mistake that I made was that as we were growing within the within year three, year four, and year five of our operation, uh, we were adding more headcount. We were growing our clientele. And I it just got to a point where I had a fear of rocking the boat and not wanting to let people go who were not performing in the right way. They should have been let go. I just really did not want to cause any turbulence. And it was because of this first termination that I failed at where I lost my confidence. We were growing, which was awesome and excellent and exciting. But I was realizing, and I also had staff members tell me in my hierarchy that certain staff members were not performing up to par. But I just had this fear of rocking the boat. I had this fear that staff would take my clients away, even though there was a clause inside, they couldn't do that. I had a fear of um, losing my reputation because I had such, I would have such a high turnover of staff. And then clients would have new contact people constantly. I just, I just wanted stability, regardless of whether people were performing correctly or not. And this Fear lasted for a good period amount of time that I ended up losing excellent quality staff because they just didn't agree with my decision-making process. And I realized at a certain point, I guess you could say it's never too late, but at a certain point, it does become a bit too late where I decided to rock the boat and not do a mass exodus, but really pick staff members that were, were the, the weakest links in the chain, ultimately. Um, now I want to highlight that these two first mistakes that I made in the early days of our establishment meant that the time I was spending on administrative and particularly just solely HR issues was over 50% of my time that I could have used on expanding the business, gaining more clientele, uh, doing more marketing initiatives in terms of speaking events and whatnot. And, and it caused me to lose time, just as simple as that. My focus was not on growing the business at that point. It was dealing with employment issues, whether it was terminating staff or, you know, by not rocking the boat and not terminating people, I was having discussions constantly with staff members saying, 
they, them telling me, Christina, you got to do something about these staff. Um, so make sure you listen to your employees. If there's one takeaway that I can make out of this is listen to your team, particularly those that are your right or left wing man, women, um, listen to them, listen to their judgment, and then go to the responsible experts to get advice on how to do the actual execution of whatever you have to do. In this case, I should have listened to my staff, gone to my labor lawyer and said, okay, I, I need to terminate two, three staff members. What would you suggest I do and get a strategy in place? Now, another thing I want to highlight in all of these points is that we didn't want to spend a lot of money on creating this solid foundation, which in res retrospect was so stupid of us because creating a solid foundation is vital for you to be able to grow and not take five steps back instead of five steps forward. So if there is one piece of advice I can give anyone is make sure that foundation is solid. Listen to your team members when they say to you that people have to go. When they themselves are frustrated or have to take over the burden of reviewing people's work or taking over the burden of actually doing the work of those staff members because they're not up to par. And make sure you get that employment law issue done properly and make it solid. The third mistake I want to highlight is not registering our own trademark when we landed in China, but instead having it get taken from us and going through a whole rebrand process. So, and again, I am a big, big, big advocate for people in terms of trademark registrations because I know how painful it was for us um, and how stupid, how stupid we were to not make it a priority. I think our dilemma was the fact that we did not believe that we were marketing ourselves locally. We were marketing ourselves abroad to foreign investors who were looking to enter the Chinese market. But regardless, we had a company in China. We were signing service agreements with our logos on. We had public speaking events. We were doing locally in China, and we still didn't register our trademark. And I will never forget this. Um, the date was a, a Sunday, May 1st. Uh, I do forget the year, however, where I got an email from the IP squatter himself saying that we had, it was a basically a, a desist, you know, a cease and desist letter saying, stop utilizing this because I own the trademark. And we had a couple of options. So obviously the first step we did is we went to a trademark lawyer and said, what options do we have in this regard? And obviously it was very clear that the squatter had registered our trademark in bad faith. But the question is, how do you prove it? There, there was no proof. Actually, we were the bad guys for having not registered it. So when you don't have proof, what other options can you do except either buy your mark from that IP squatter, which obviously you're like, why am I going to spend money on buying this from them? Or alternatively, it was a rebrand. And because you don't know what number they're just going to throw out at you, we decided to not even take that avenue. And we decided to do a complete global rebrand, which ultimately was not a bad thing. But the amount of sleepless nights, stress, and then the whole process of rebranding, websites, marketing materials, service agreements, business cards, 
the list goes on of what has to be changed and amended in order to make sure you're on par. And then obviously choosing a name that's available from a trademark perspective, from a domain perspective, and then updating your website. It's heavy work. And of course you can outsource a lot of this, but a lot of this you also have to control and there has to be a project management system in place to manage all of this. So it was heavy duty work. And obviously we still had to spend a pretty penny out of our budget to do this entire rebrand. And it wasn't just for one jurisdiction. We did it for all of China, Hong Kong. And at that point, we also had a Singapore structure as well. So again, make this a priority for your business. If you are doing anything with China, any form of communication with China, register your brand assets and make this a priority. The last mistake I want to highlight is the following. As a foreign investor in China, um, I started to have the sense that I wanted to have Westerners employed by our company to act as a brainstorming arm for myself because I felt that I wasn't on the same wavelength with my Chinese employees. But also I just thought if I'm traveling a lot, it's nice to have somebody on the ground who supports me and is ultimately my spy. And this is a question that gets asked a lot is, do we still need to expatriate foreigners, Westerners to China to build up the business, support the business, act as the spy. I, I don't know how to answer that. I can only relate it to my own business. And I think people have to make that decision in relation to their own business. The assumption is ultimately that you need Westerners on the ground when actually it is absolutely fine to have a localized Chinese office, especially knowing that now a lot of the mainland Chinese are becoming more and more Westernized and where you can have a lot of these brainstorming discussions. Um, that, you know, the question mark is, do you really need to have a Western on the ground to support you? Again, for me, the conclusion of this is that my experience highlighted that I was spending more HR hours dealing with the Westerners than I was dealing with my Chinese employees. The Westerners felt a lot like they could have free reign. So I also had a lot of issues with them coming to the office on time and spending the proper eight to nine hours a day in the office. I also had issues on calculating commission. I didn't have these issues with the Chinese staff at all. Um, that it got tedious. You know, I felt like I was going back into what I had learned in the past about having proper systems and processes in place and I felt they were taking advantage of it purely because they were Westerners. And they felt a right to have better, um, they felt they had the right to have better circumstances offered to them than the Chinese did, which I didn't agree on. I, I believe in quality and everybody brings something to the table. So we've changed our business strategy to ultimately say, we don't need Westerners on the ground in China. If we need Westerners at all, it's probably abroad who are our business development managers supporting our clients from abroad, not necessarily in China. And then the regulations change because you're following local regulations in their home jurisdictions. So again, think very carefully as to whether this could be something for you. But for me, the management of Westerners was a big failure for me. I did not set that up properly 
and did not create a proper process to be able to manage them. I want to finish off today with the idea of what have I learned doing business in China for the last 20 years? Um, the biggest thing I have learned is the fact that I am still a Westerner and a foreigner in China. I was not born there. I didn't go to a public school. I am not a local. Um, even though some people might say after 20 years, Christina, you are a local. No, I'm not. And the biggest thing I can offer to people is to say, your local staff are actually ultimately the China experts. They have the knowledge base, they have the skill set, and they also have the network that if they don't know something, they know who to go to to get that answer. I will never have that ability to have that type of network. My network is mostly made up of other Westerners and foreigners in China and a very small percentage of mainland Chinese people or Hong Kong Chinese people. So expand your network of mainland Chinese people and listen to your local employees or your third-party providers or whomever you collaborate with. Listen to them because ultimately they are the experts. It does not mean that you should not verify information because anybody can cheat you, whether it's in China or wherever in the world, people can cheat you. So verify what they say, have a backup support on that. But listen to them and listen to how they are trying to help you and your business. Now, I my goal is whenever I'm interviewing people for our Thrive in China podcast is I want to ask people, if you could give yourself one piece of advice on the day you started your China career, what would it be? And today I want to offer you my piece of advice. If I could go back in time and restart everything 20 years ago in 2003, the first thing I would do is get a China mentor. Somebody who is in the business world, who is willing to guide me, advise me, uh, act as my coach, my mentor, um, my brainstorming arm, my validator, and somebody who could give me confidence in making the right decisions versus just winging it. And ultimately, this is why we offer at Woodburn Accountants and Advisors our non-executive director services because I then act as this type of mentor, coach, validator, um, advisor on what not to do in China and to give people options on how they should look at the bigger picture when they're developing their China strategy and implementing their China strategy. So that would be the advice I would give myself is find this mentor, find this coach. And it doesn't just have to be one person. It could be multiple people. But my community at that moment in time were other foreigners who were also in their early 20s, who were also brand new to the Chinese market, and they couldn't give me any advice. Um, and I wasn't going to the old timers that were there to ask for that advice. And obviously, the issue is you have to pay for it. Um, and we just didn't have the budget. So I do recommend people to include that in their budget to have that validator. And it doesn't have to be somebody you use long term. It's just somebody that you use as you're starting up and as you're growing your business, that you have someone you can counter things with um, and that can give you that confidence that you know you're making the right decisions. Guys, that's my story. Um, and I hope you hear 
I have made plenty of mistakes. I highlighted today the four biggest mistakes. Um, and that still caused me sleepless nights. It does not mean I still don't make mistakes in China. I do. The regulations are constantly getting updated. Situations and circumstances constantly get up, get changed and pivoted. That you generally hit roadblocks and obstacles and mistakes are made that can affect your budget. But the question is, how quickly do you recover from that mistake? What solutions do you find when you do recover to get you out of that mess? And um, my biggest learning curve is to make sure that I always have emergency funds in my budget in case mistakes do happen. Um, you never know what might pop up, what penalties might arise, and it's just making sure you've got this buffer in your budget that you calculate with. Uh, and that I learned very early on um, in my business journey and my China journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed what you heard, do not forget to hit the subscribe button, leave a rating and review as this helps other individuals find us. If you would like to discuss your China business pain points, check out our show notes, which has a link to our diary to book a call directly with me. Look forward to helping you with your China journey. <laughs>